Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. Today is Monday, November 4th, and we've got a Hokies heartbreak in South Bend to talk about. We're also going to recap Week 10 in the ACC and uh, you know talk about a few other things going on. Actually, a little bit of coastal clarity, maybe? The chaos, not so chaotic this weekend. But first off, Tim, what's uh, what's going on? Man, I am, uh, I'm spent. Like, yesterday just took everything out of me. Normally I have nice witty banter prepared to talk about in my head and, you know, something cool would have happened we can talk about, um, you know. It's just one of those things where it's it's like Boston College all over again. Um, you know, Matt Ryan finding an open wide receiver in the end zone and hugging Jagodzinski on the sideline and it's just replaying in my mind over and over again. It's unfortunate. Um, it was a good game, and obviously we'll get into it. But I am. Um, it's weird how much these games can take out of you at times. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, you know, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, but you know, we as fans are obviously invested in the success of the football team. Want to see the football team succeed. The school succeed. We got we got college basketball starting up next week. Can you believe that? There you go. No, I can't. Tech and opens at Clemson on Tuesday night. So I'm gonna really, say excited about that. ACC openers in college basketball. Something I never thought we'd see, but here we are. Yeah, ACC football opener and ACC basketball opener. Hopefully, the basketball opener goes a little bit better than the football opener did. But um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm here in Columbus. I've got a little work conference that's going on. Uh, all weekend into next week and after the game I was just kind of sitting in my hotel room staring aimlessly out the window and I was like you know there's a hockey arena five five minutes down the street I think I'm just gonna go sit at the game so I when watch the Columbus Blue Jackets take on the Calgary Flames it was uh there you go you know it was an interesting um you know it wasn't the greatest game day experience I've ever been to hockey wise you know I've been to the Dallas Stars, when they're in the playoffs, great environment. The Chicago Blackhawks always have a very engaged fan base. Oh, um, yeah. But, yeah, this one was a little bit uh, of a subdued crowd, and I certainly wasn't um, doing anything to uh, to help that out because I was just sitting there staring at the ice. <laughs> <laughs> that old thousand-mile stare. <laughs> and uh, looking down at my phone occasionally to keep up with the UVA North Carolina game. So... Right. You know, one right. thing that did kind of uh, annoy me this morning, and I guess I'm just on high annoyance alert, but I go <laughs> down to the Starbucks and, uh, you know, get some coffee, make sure I'm ready to go for a uh, 8 a.m. podcast and um, walk in and they're playing a really jazzed up version of Let It Snow. And mm. Not like, the Halloween was a couple days ago. Can we yeah. just pump the brakes on the Christmas tunes for at least another three weeks really kind of until my rule is thanksgiving needs to come and then you can break out the christmas decor music if you've got a reason to bring it up or put it up earlier you know that's fine i guess i don't care but i I just don't want to hear it on november 3rd yeah that's you know part of the living in the hearst household now um Growing up, my father was a stickler for the Christmas tree. Does not go up until after Thanksgiving. That was, that was the good rule. Man. He's, he's a good man. He was a principled man. Yeah. I married you know, a woman without principles. 
Yeah. No, no morals, no values, no principles. As soon yeah. as Halloween is over, she starts begging to put up the Christmas decorations. And I, I've stopped fighting it because I have found, like, Grinch, whose heart grew three times um, yeah. up on that hill or mountain, yeah. whatever it was. Like, sure. I wish I remembered the, the name of the mountain. Um, but the Grinch Mountain, uh, my heart has also swollen. And now I'm kind of okay with the decorations going up. They make me kind of happy. You know, it's kind of cool sitting and watching college basketball at night with the only light being the glow from the Christmas tree. So I've gotten yeah. kind of attached to that. That's a weird, uh, you know, kind of nostalgic memory in my head now. Every time I think back, it's like a romantic thing. Think back to college basketball. There's always kind of the, the glow of a Christmas tree involved, which is cool. You know, I, I have a love-hate relationship with the Christmas tree. I, I like it when it's on, but looking at a Christmas tree that's not lit up is one of the uglier things you can have in your house. (laughs) And, you know, that game really took it all out of you, didn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, I'm in a bad place this morning, I guess. (laughs) Have you ever heard a child laugh? (laughs) Have you heard a, have you seen a child grin? <laughs> it's despicable. No, yeah, but like I literally, I like the you. first I thing I do you. when I come down the stairs in the morning is I I turn that Christmas tree on. Good, because good I, man. I just I cannot stand to look at it without the lights on. Yeah, but I'm also I'm to the point now where you know we got a two year old running around the house, so I'm not in a super rush to get it up because yeah. having to play defense on that guy. Oh, uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a challenge this year. She was a little young last year to really worry about it, uh, but this year she is going to be very intrigued by every light, every decoration, uh, every ball, uh, anything that can really either hurt her or be hurt. Uh, so yeah, yeah we'll see. So we'll you, see how that goes. You speak real facts there. I mean, we've got the two-year-old, uh, you know, more like a three-year-old at this point, but she's all about that Christmas tree. So there's defense having to be played there. Yeah, I rescued a dog earlier in the year, um, and this dog, unlike Look other dogs you. I've had, I can't, I can't figure out how to train her. She's dumber than a box of rocks, um, okay. and I just well, know rude. it's rude, but it's true. Poppy, <laughs> you know, not all there, and. <laughs> She she will have a field day with those ornaments, and I am just stressing out trying to figure out how I'm going to play defense on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's you know you only got to worry about it for a month, or maybe in your case, two months. Yeah. Uh, but I will say, like the day after Christmas, I'm ready for it to come down. I'm like, all right, let's put these guys up. Otherwise, they just linger into the new year, and then I'm with it just kind of weighs on you. I, I I leave it until New Year's Day. New Year's Day, it comes down. And the only time being is I lump, or the only reason being is I lump New Year's uh, Day time, New Year's Eve time into the overarching holiday season. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so that just kind of blends for me. Yeah, it's good to have up for New Year's Eve, I guess. You're having a little house party. Oh, dude, coming back after you've had a house party and and a couple drinks and staring at the Christmas tree one last time, it's not so bad. Get that last twinkle in your eye and have to wait until next year. That's right. Uh, but yeah, so let's, let's let's stop putting off the inevitable, Tim. <laughs> that was a nice conversation. It was. Why are we gonna ruin it? No, we we don't. I just you know, I just. Uh, Do you have any opinions on hot chocolate, Justin? <laughs> uh, I'm more of an eggnog guy this time of year. Oh, me too. Oh, great eggnog. 
But yeah, so I'll tell you, uh, the Virginia Tech Notre Dame game. You know, for the most part, I take away positives. And, yeah. uh, you know, if you had told me that Quincy Patterson was going to come in and start, which I didn't know that was going to happen, um, I would have been surprised if you had told me we kept it within a point. Um, and that's nothing against Quincy. I just think he's much more one-dimensional uh, than, than Hendon Hooker, obviously. I think Hendon Hooker gives Virginia Tech the best chance to win right now. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, look, it's a limited offense when you have Quincy in. And that's just, that's just a fact as, as it stands today. And, yeah, I was, I was the same way. If you had told me QP was starting over Hendon um, for this game, just because of the step up in talent, I certainly wouldn't have been positive on the outcome of the game. Yeah, and I mean, it was it was obviously a very competitive game. It was uh, very intense. It was down to the wire. You know, Foster, after the game, said, you know, this one was kind of right up there with the 98 Syracuse game and the 2007 Boston mm. College game, which, uh, you know, we were at the 07 Boston College game. But, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't for me. Uh, I think, you know, those two years we had national cha- championship aspirations. Um, you know, we were still in position to potentially get there get to a, a BCS national championship game this year you know you're sitting at five and two the game really you know from a season standpoint didn't mean a whole lot and I, I guess like I, I always think games like this are super important for your program yeah um, you know it's great as a as a selling tool to be able to go in and you know hey we're two and zero on the road against Notre Dame all, all time you know hey we have the the longest fumble return in the history of Notre Dame football at South at Notre Dame Stadium. 98 yards to Vine Diablo, 2019. Did you see it? Here. Here's the tape. Watch. <laughs> so, you know, stuff like that is is great. It's a great selling tool, and I certainly don't think this performance hinders that in any way. Um, but to compare it to 07-98, I wouldn't say that. Now, with the way the game ended, yeah, it, it felt that way. And, and my biggest frustration point and I'm not blaming one side of the the team or the other. I just we we had been stopping Notre Dame all all day, pretty much keeping them contained offensively. Our defense played a, a phenomenal game, and then in the last drive they go 18 plays, 87 yards, and the reason being one they got a lot of help from the officials, which oh you gosh, know. we'll talk about, and two. You know, we were playing a three-man rush slash, uh, you know, I don't know if it was quite a prevent, but it was a three-man rush for for most of the time up up and down the field. So, and, and they didn't they didn't veer from that. And so, I understand going in there and try to send three guys and seeing if it works, but that was an 18-play, 87-yard drive, right? Yeah, it was brutal. so it wasn't working. You know, there was a couple of fourth-down conversions that were had, and Notre Dame for the game was three for three on fourth down. So. You know, when it's third and eight or fourth and three and you're kind of playing back and giving the offense a little bit to, to come up there, I mean, that, that for me was the frustrating part was that we didn't continue playing the type of football that got us to that point in the game defensively. Right. And it's always mystifying the, to me for defensive coordinators. This happens all over college football. And, and the thing yeah. that was so striking about this game is Bud had designed a game plan that was literally – stifling and smothering that Notre Dame offense for let's call it three quarters after after the onset of the first quarter 
Yeah. And you had gotten to that point, and Notre Dame's offense was completely anemic. And so how does it logically make sense to go from something that is pr- that is proving to work for three quarters, three and a half quarters, let's call it, to switching to a type of defense that if you look at the wide uh, breadths of college football and the many games in which the prevent has been levered, has hardly worked. The only thing the prevent has been shown to do is make sure that the, the, the team, the opposing team, gets into the red zone as fast as possible. It allows the team to take the little things to get yardage to move up the field, especially when there's time in the game. You know, it, it wasn't like there was 30 seconds left no. in the game and they needed to go 87 yards. And that's the one scenario it makes that's sense That's where you in. run prevent. Right. But when you've got, I don't remember how much time was on the clock, but Let's I'd say two five minutes. minutes. Yeah. Was it, I think it, I think was, it was more like two. Was it two? Okay. I well, think so. Either way, you know, they went up and down the field. Um, and well, no, let, let's say let's say five. I was thinking about when the Hokies got it, but the Hokies got it with about 29 50. Seconds. Yeah, it was going to say it was, it was seconds, yeah. but we ran 10 seconds doing the most oh idiotic God. special teams, uh, yeah. let's call it a play I've ever seen. Yeah, so that you know that was odd, and you know the the thing about that last drive. So you know Notre Dame comes down the field, they they get the rushing touchdown at the end book, and uh, obviously you know that was a uh, that was a devastating blow. Bad snap on the extra point, mm. kind of gave the Hokies a little bit of a shot there, but the kicker did a nice job, and or the holder did a nice job of of uh, getting in the place for the kicker there. So they go up one, and then the uh, kickoff return thing about it is, so Caleb Farley gets it, catches it about five yards outside of the end zone. That's the guy you want to have yeah. the ball. And then they do their little huddle up thing, trying to draw some confusion. But Farley still maintained the ball, and the Notre Dame special teams was not fooled. They they knew who was going to have the ball in that situation. And, you know, it just ended up costing us time and and uh, fewer yards than what probably would have happened. So. And you credit uh, credit the Hokies there. The confusion bit worked out masterfully. Yeah, yeah. I myself was very confused. But see, the thing is, in that situation, it, it was a it was a kind of a one of those uh, kickoffs where it wasn't a, a normal kickoff. They were trying to kick it to a receiver, so they kicked it short of the mm-hmm. end zone. Right. They kicked it a little high. It landed in the receiver's hands that you wanted. Get north and south as fast as you possibly can. Yep. And get as many yards as you can in the shortest amount of time as possible. And if he had ran straight ahead, catching it in between the 5 and the 10, um, he could have gotten to that 25-30. And that's a different drive. I mean, I just, I'm so confused. By, by, but that just mystified me. I don't know who yeah. made that decision, but it was a poor decision. Again, that's like a play that you run if you've got like 5 seconds. Yeah, it's a play that you run to do like a little bit of a trick. Pee league football. Yeah, so I mean, you know, if it worked out, then we wouldn't be thinking that. It would be a masterful call. Uh, No, but we're we're Captain Hindsight for sure in this one. But you know, that's a seat that we have to take and a cape that we have to don if we're going to have this podcast. Yeah, and you know the the thing is like when when book got that rushing touchdown you know it felt like the game was certainly over just mm-hmm. based off of patterson's passing ability but there was a play to be had where you know he stepped up in the pocket and damon hazelton had kind of come open across the middle of the field but um it wasn't a, a great throw it kind of skipped right in front of him you know had that throw been a little bit better you know i think 
Hazleton gets to the 50, maybe the 45, uh, and you're talking about something completely different. So it didn't happen. You know, I, I think for Virginia Tech, uh, you know, it was a pretty good performance overall. The defense has uh, has been really good. Um, they're still giving up a lot of yards, and with the way that Notre Dame opened the game after the uh, well, they they opened the game moving the ball up and down the field, but booked through a uh, an interception right to Dax Hollyfield, um, and then after that they came right down the field and scored again. But after those first two drives, the Virginia Tech defense really really settled in, and it wasn't really until that last. Um, that last series where you really had any uh, anything to hold your head about defensively. Now, the one loss that's really going to hurt Virginia Tech in ACC play is next week with Jermaine Waller going to miss the first half of the uh, Wake Forest game because he was ejected for, for targeting. And so here's another play uh, where, you know, this was in the fourth quarter and targeting has been defined as leading with the crown of your helmet. Now, was it head-to-head contact? Yeah. Sure. Okay. I don't disagree that it was a 15-yard penalty. But Waller ducked his head before making contact. He crouched in. And, you know, just with the angle of the, of the uh, whoever had the ball, you know, they, they made the head-to-head contact. Targeting is supposed to be leading with the crown of your helmet. That play was not leading with the crown of his helmet. So I don't understand why it was upheld. It was a huge loss in the game. It was a huge loss for Virginia Tech going forward. And then to add insult to injury, they put in Armani Chapman. The Ian Book tries to go deep on Chapman, throws an interception. And what do they call? They call roughing the passer. And it was probably one of the worst roughing the passer penalties I've ever seen because it makes me sick. Literally, you know, the defender's running full speed at book, two steps, and two steps running, you know, 15 miles an hour. That's those are two pretty quick steps on the release. Hit him clean, didn't even land on him. Landed to the side, just like you're supposed to do. It was a textbook hit on the quarterback, and they called roughing the passer. That was a huge turning point in the game. And it gave Notre Dame life. Now they drove down the field. They finally had a penalty called on them, backed them up, and then they kicked a field goal that they ended up missing. So they didn't get any points. But having that momentum shift of having an interception if you're Virginia Tech and having a chance to score some points, you know, I'm not saying they win the game, but there's a good chance they win the game had had that that call not been made. And, you know, that was extremely frustrating uh, just because it, it did feel that – uh, Notre Dame could uh, could basically do whatever they wanted to in this game in the eyes of the officials. There was a lot of holding. Uh, there was a lot of what felt like pass interference that wasn't called. Uh, sure. The uh, there was a play with Ian Book where it was you know the definition of intentional grounding wasn't called. Oh my gosh! Yeah. You know there was this roughing the passer penalty on a huge critical moment in the game. You know it's, it, that was frustrating. Because the officials got in the way of what overall was a very competitive game, was a good game to watch, a very physical football game. Uh, but again, like if you're Virginia Tech, you got to be happy with the performance. You know, you got to take what happened with the officials with the grain of salt. It's going to happen from time to time. You know, yeah. this is college football. The officials just aren't very good. 
the officials aren't that good in the NFL either. So, you know, Notre Dame getting calls, not the most shocking thing ever, especially in South Bend. Um, You know, that that's that's something you kind of have to compete with. Um, But, you know, it's just it's heartbreaking because you add all of those up, all of those wrongs. and, And let's not let's make it very clear. This was pass interference multiple times. It was not flagged. The holding that was going on was some of the worst offensive holding I've ever seen in my life. And I'm not sure that we even got one offensive holding called in our favor. No, we didn't. Um, which blows my mind given the fact that our defensive line, and props to our defensive line, this was an area of weakness uh, in the beginning of the season. We could not get to Boston College's quarterback. Yeah. And to see the havoc that they're able to wreak now is crazy. I mean, Garbutt in particular. Yeah, um, got a Twitchy, great man. Twitchy. We got, we got some really twitchy athletes, and, and credit to that defensive coaching staff. But you add... All those things up, along with the heartbreaking way it ended, and it's just it's it's hard not to feel, uh, you know, like we got the short end of the stick a little bit. But like you said, there are some super super positive takes coming out of this game for us. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at the stat sheet, you know, Virginia Tech didn't have any sacks, but there were quite a bit of quarterback pressures. You know, Ian Book's a guy who gets the ball out very quickly, um, so I mean, that's that's not anything to to worry about. Um, no, if you watch no. the game, like you, you understand that there was a lot of pressure. I mean, Book threw the ball fifty-three times, and you know, completed twenty twenty-nine of those passes. So, a lot of them were short deeks and dunks. There weren't a lot of plays to be had down the field. You know, I thought the secondary played pretty well overall. You know, Patterson he ended up nine for twenty-eight for one thirty-nine. Um, you know, was four for seventeen for thirty-eight yards in the first half. So obviously not what you want. He did throw an interception, but it was the last you know, play of the game for a prayer. So I'm not going to really hold that one against them. Um, but it was just the battle of kind of three and outs there in the first half. So Virginia Tech had six three and outs offensively and Notre Dame had five. So that was that was kind of your first half uh, offense. And outside of a couple of uh, drives where Notre Dame gained a few yards, you know, they had the one with the turnover and, you know, a couple of touchdowns. But, you know, Virginia Tech, they got to be uh, very happy with, with what they did. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Divine Diablo uh, on the fumble recovery, uh, based off the hit from Rashard Ashby, that was yes. the longest fumble return for a touchdown um, in Notre Dame Stadium history, uh, 98 yards. Previous record was 96. Um, so, and you know, add, a lot yeah, of... Just ho-hum, another, another double-digit tackle game from Rashard Ashby. Yeah, I mean, he really should be an All-American. And yeah. If he's not like I, you know, he he won't be because he's not, you know, in the national spotlight. Um, he, sh- I mean, he will be first team All ACC, and if he's not, you know, the team means nothing. Um, but yeah, he sh- he should be considered as an All American in my in my opinion. He's definitely one of the no best doubt. linebackers in the country. Um, just just what you want out of a out of a middle linebacker. So. You know, I think with uh, I think with the Hokies, you know, don't let this game beat you twice, right? Right. You know, you've got ACC football to turn to now. You've got four big games in a row. You still control your own destiny. You know, it it's really looking like Virginia Tech, Virginia is going to be the battle for the Coastal, which would be fantastic. Uh, that's what you want because if you're either team. You don't want to win the Coastal by losing that game 
just by default and then having to go to Clemson after losing to your arch rival. So what better way to do it than beating your arch rival, winning the Coastal, and then going on to play Clemson the following week. So, you know, I think this week uh, we got a little bit of Coastal clarity. You know, that being said, you know, I think Virginia Tech should be now considered one of the favorites. Uh, What they do next week against uh, Wake Forest will you know, really kind of dictate that they're going to have to come out and um, and play a tough game, especially in that that first half with no Jermaine Waller. So they're going to have to get some guys to step up. But you know, Wake Forest is a team that they can beat. Um, Wake Forest is a team that is really good offensively. They will be able to move the ball against Virginia Tech. They will be able to score. But I have confidence that this team will be able to to score a lot of points against a uh, pretty lackluster Wake Forest defense. And it sounds like. Hendon Hooker will be back for next week. Um, you know, Fuente was was uh, heard after the game saying that, you know, he practiced all week. He just didn't practice a lot, and he wasn't comfortable with um, the amount of practice that he had sending him out there and uh, kind of cited his experience. And so if he had been a little bit more experienced, maybe, you know, uh, a junior or senior, he would have felt differently about it. Um but he didn't, and so he chose to chose to keep him back. But what that means is, it sounds like he's going to be a go for yeah. for uh, for next week. And my take on that is, even mm-hmm. if he's remotely banged up, and Justin Fuente keeps injuries really close to the chest, but if he's even remotely banged up, you don't play him in a game against Notre Dame, which, as far as consequences on the season goes, hardly matters. Um, well, it would have been really nice to get that win. I think if Wake Forest was this week and not Notre Dame, we may have seen Hinden playing. Uh, yeah. And we may have seen a different like. practice regimen from him. That, that's at least my opinion. Yeah, that's what it sounded like. So Hokies, uh, you know, heartbreaker, lose 21-20, uh, you know, second time in South Bend, now 1-1. One one. Uh, I think the next time they play Notre Dame is 2021, I believe. And then they're not in South Bend again until 2027. So, good. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think hopefully this gives the team a little bit of momentum. I think it will give uh, give the defense some confidence that they can they can you know hang with anybody. I think from a talent standpoint, Notre Dame has more talent in at every position um, than Virginia Tech at this point. Maybe not at every single position, but at the majority of positions. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Virginia Tech passed the eye test. I think we yeah. can now say that, you know, we should feel pretty good about Virginia Tech's chances going forward, even after the loss. You know, they're three and one in their last four weeks. They've got wins over, you know, Miami um, and North Carolina. You know, they were right there with Notre Dame. Now they just have to finish out the season, go into November, and uh, and take care of business in the conference. And that's that's what gets you. Uh, that, that's what's going to get you a lot of uh, a buy-in from the media. You go in, you beat a top 25 Wake Forest team next next week at home, a game in which you honor Bud Foster. You know, that's that's going to be a nice little spark as you as you head into the final three weeks of the season. So uh, I'm pretty high on Virginia Tech right now. Um, you know, still certainly not confident that we're going to, you know, beat every team like we should. Um, but you know, next week is a is a toss up. Looking forward to that game, um, but yeah, I don't I don't know if you have any any final words on the Hokies to to close this one out. No, I think you did a good job summing it up. Um, you know, I'm just really impressed with that defense. Uh, you know, I'm a little let down by some of the play calling and 
sort of how conservative we were, even though QP very limited as a passer. I thought we could have done a little more with our scheme to mix things up. I thought the runs we were doing were a little predictable, and that was kind of unfortunate. Um, you know, Cornelson's still not doing a whole lot to make me a raving fan. Um, but the game, you know, unfortunate. We, we should have won. It was in the palm of our hands. It was taken away. Um, you know, Notre Dame did just enough with the help of the officials to sneak through. And, you know, you would have loved to have that. Beating Notre Dame is always a cool game. But trying to keep it in perspective, game doesn't matter. The, the game next week matters a whole lot. So let's. The, the ship certainly seems to be headed in the right direction. I mentioned on the podcast before that I would be happy if we came out and just looked like we had a pulse and knew what we were doing against Notre Dame. And we did that. So in the end, I'm fairly happy. Um, Always want the win. I don't really believe in moral victories, but this is the closest you could come to one. Um, And yeah, just, you know, side note, Brian Kelly, really easy guy to dislike. Um, (laughs) And shout out to Justin Fuente for looking like a football coach on the sidelines. Brian Kelly's cold weather gear. Somebody needs to tell him that, you know, he, he just, he's not looking tough. And his little puffy coat and his nice little gloves and his matching attire from head to toe. No, to cite, you know, my favorite Christmas movie of all time, Elf. He looked like an angry elf on the side. Oh, my God. When he was standing in the tunnel waiting for the team to run out, like, it looked hilarious. (laughs) Like, if you're sitting on the other sideline, you're, like, already feeling like you have the upper hand when you watch that. So I wonder how many times they have to record the halftime speech that they televise from brian kelly oh yeah oh you, you have because to. i you i know to. that he uh he gives his real halftime speech without the cameras on oh he seems like that kind of guy yeah you know and then they turn it on and he has to say something and they're always very focused on him and mm-hmm. there's like no shot of the locker room yeah. So I just wonder if he's just like talking to an empty locker room as his team's already out on the field. <laughs> so it can be they nev- they never show the players, man. No. They never show them. He, you know, he seems like a guy that if he's at a restaurant and something very minor is wrong with his meal, he oh, yeah. will return it. He will make it go back to the chef. But like, calls a scene. It, not just better, send it back. No, he's going to berate the server as if the server was the one who went back there and prepared his meal of chicken tenders and french fries. Yeah. Quite possibly even flipping the table. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When he's oh, having yeah. an angry little oh, episode. He's, he's an angry little elf. So, yeah, you know, I, I think, too, not to be understated, you know, I, I'm i not putting this game on, you know, either side of the ball. Uh, the play calling was obviously challenging in this one, just with uh, the quarterback situation. This, this was a very tough ask for Quincy Patterson in his first career start. Yeah, you know the totally. wind. There was a twenty-five mile per hour wind gust the entire time. There was a shot of Quincy uh, at one point in the game where he just had tears streaming down his eyes, and uh, you know that just shows how like windy it actually was there. Um, so that's obviously makes it challenging. There was a couple of plays where you're like, why would you call that play on third down um, instead of like second down? But you know, is what it is. Easy to second guess, but. Overall, I thought it was a pretty good game plan around Patterson, um, but the Hokies, again, they just come up a little bit short. But they got Wake Forest next week. Let's talk about NC State at Wake Forest, Tim. So Ugh. this is a game you picked NC State to win. I told you I thought sure I did. thought you were a little crazy. And, sure did. And uh, the Deeks, they, they won 44-10, um, and so kind of put their struggles against the Wolfpack to bed. Largest margin of victory at home against an ACC team since 1968. So, Jamie Newman, 
he returned through 287, ran for 30 more yards, and didn't even play in the fourth quarter. So the NC State offense continued its struggles. It was the first start for Devin Leary. You know, he threw a couple of picks. He was just 3 of 19 for 40 yards after halftime and 0 for 8 in the fourth quarter. So not what you want. And to add insult to injury, uh, we saw Bam Knight leave with an injury, did not return, did get an x-ray. I just don't think we know the status on it yet. So not a... Not a whole lot of positive takeaways here for NC State, uh, but what was uh, what was your reaction to the game? It was disgusting. Um, you know, it's hard to defend Doran at this point because I think Dave Doran is a good coach. I mean, you got back-to-back 9-1 seasons at a place like NC State. That says a lot um, about the quality of the coach that I think he is, but it's also he's made very, very poor decisions now. One, riding with a defensive coordinator who's proven to be inadequate for uh, six or seven seasons, um, as well as making the offensive coordinator hire that he did, which I understand the logic behind, but is clearly not paid off. Um, you know, you got a football program with no quarterbacks in it right now. Um, which, yeah, you got you know, three quarterbacks, but no quarterbacks. It's right. like the complete opposite of Virginia Tech because the Hokies are getting good play out of two of those quarterbacks, I should say. Right. Whereas right. NC State just cannot find help. Can't, can't get any, any play out of those quarterbacks. Now, I will say, if you go back to the opening, opening day roster, NC State has, I think, 13 or 12 players gone on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. So combined with offense and defense. Yeah. That's not to, those are just the starters. That's not to mention, I think they're on their fifth string cornerback as their number one right now. Yeah, they're banged um, up. They're, they're banged up probably worse, and not probably. They are banged up worse than anybody else in the ACC. Um, it's an unprecedented level of injuries for Dave Doran. He's never dealt with anything like this before. So it's hard to be uber critical. But I think the two most glaring issues are your offensive coordinator and your defensive coordinator. And that lies squarely on the shoulders of the head coach. So Dave is going to have to take some serious criticism here. And I think that was the worst Wake Forest has beaten NC State since I've been alive in football. Oh, I'm sure, so, I'm sure, it, I'm sure it was. So... That's not going to sit well with alumni in Raleigh. Um, they, they don't love Dave Doran down here in the way that I think. I think Dave's a great coach. They don't necessarily think that. Um, speaking, you know, what the local feeling around him yeah, is. You just got to get over that because he is yeah. a good coach. And he, I mean, he is. They he were due is. for kind of a step back this year, right? Agreed. And then you add to it all the injuries they've had. Yeah. They don't have good quarterback play. So, yeah, they're just not going to be very good. And I mean... Yeah. Wake Forest is good. So, I mean, you got to take it with a grain of salt. Like, Wake Forest is the second best team in the ACC right now. They and are. You've watched Wake Forest at all this year. That's a top 10 offense in college football. So, yeah, you got absolutely embarrassed against, you know, I, I assume this is a rivalry. Yeah. I, I don't it know is. how big of a rivalry it is, but, you know, it yeah, it, it sucks to, to get embarrassed by a rival. But at the same time, like you got to kind of take it as it is. NC State's just not a very good football team right now for a variety of reasons. But yeah. is that just a Dave Dorn issue? No. No. He thinks that he could have done better this year? Yeah. Sure. He just can't completely skate on this one. And, um, you know, what he can't do is no matter how bad it gets, he can't lose 44 10 to Wake Forest. So that's at the unacceptable level of results. Uh, for NC State now should he be winning more games no I don't think so not with not with the cards he's been dealt Um, but he can't lose them in the fashion that he's lost to Boston College and Wake Forest that's when uh, 
the natives get extremely restless. It's not the manner uh, or, or just the result. It's the manner in which he's losing that I think is very frustrating. And I will say I, I totally agree. I don't think that uh, a, a coach in his seventh year um, should be getting beat this badly, regardless of what he has, because he does have a deep football program. He does. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just just unfortunate. But, you know, again, Wake Forest, wow. They, they look great. Their defense looked good, and I think that was pretty much fool's gold. Um, I think anybody's defense is going to look good against NC State at this point. Um, but, you know, Wake Forest continues to roll, and, and they're looking just so good. Jamie Newman, man, that guy is – he's just dynamite. Yeah. No, I'm really looking forward to the game next week uh, between them at Virginia Tech. And, um, you know, I don't think I've hidden it well. I, I really like Wake Forest. I like watching them play football. Um, they're a fun team to watch, um, so it's definitely going to be a, a challenge for for the Hokies. But you know, I would feel fantastic if Virginia Tech could could knock them off. I'd feel really good about things. So, oh my gosh, that'd be we'll, a uh, huge win! Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, a huge win for Miami, I guess you could say. Uh, definitely twenty-seven ten over Florida State. So, again, you know. I was I was pretty on point with my picks this week, Tim. I just want to I just want to point that out. Um, yeah, Florida State. Wow. I mean, this was a Willie Tagger game if I've ever seen one. You know, it was uh, a Miami defense that just dominated the Florida State offensive line. You know, they had five different defenders that had a sack. The Seminoles just had two hundred and three yards of offense. Cam Makers was kept in check, only twenty two carries for sixty six yards. Um, he did have an eighteen yard touchdown catch. Um, but you know, they lost 51 yards on sacks and ended up with 31 net yards on 41 carries. So Alex Hornibrook only 17 to 24 for 135. DJ Dallas did return in this game, uh, 18 for 61 did have a touchdown and Jaron Williams was the starter and played pretty well. He threw for 313 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Miami just rolled. And, uh, to me, this this was the icing on the cake for Florida State to to move on from Willie Taggart. You can't have a average Miami team like like you are. They were both four and four heading into this game. Come into your house and absolutely dominate you the way that they did. Oh, and no. uh, that's just not going to sit well with the fan base. And there was you know guys in the stands wearing uh, Miami shirts with uh, you know like we approve of Willie Taggart. Um, so they're just mocking the Willie Taggart era when, you know, not that their their football team is going through a a uh, you know great time at the moment, but yeah, I mean, if you're if you're Florida State, I can imagine that you're ready to uh, to see a change at the head coaching position. Yeah, I mean, especially with all of the talk around Kendall Bryles in the offseason, that offense, which has looked explosive at times. I mean, he's looked really good. You can't get 203 total yards against your biggest rival. Um, you know, you, you just you can't do it. No, no, it's not acceptable. Um, another big game in the Coastal, Tim, and this one kind of cemented uh, North Carolina is is being on the outside looking in. So Virginia thirty eight, North Carolina thirty one, best game of the year for Bryce Perkins, hands down. So North Carolina could not stop him. He was thirty for thirty nine, three seventy eight, and three touchdowns through the air. He had 112 yards on the ground with two touchdowns, including a 65-yard run. I think he set a record, a UVA record, for most uh, total yards in a game by a single player. That being said, 
you know, I wasn't surprised that UVA was able to move the ball against North Carolina. The defense is very banged up. Um, you know, the North Carolina offense, if I, you know, if you had told me they scored 31 points against UVA, I would have thought their chances were pretty good of winning. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the uh, UVA just, they, they had one more touchdown to get. Um, that being said, you know, there were a couple plays in this game where early on, really, where Bryce Perkins had Joe Reed just wide open at times and just couldn't hit him. Yeah. Um, so that was a little bit concerning. So I was I was surprised when I looked at the box score to see, you know, how efficient he really was. Uh, but there's still just something to, left to be desired, especially when they go up against the tougher team. But you got to give UVA credit. They went into a, uh, you know, I'm not going to say a hostile road environment, but it's definitely more difficult than it has been in years past. Oh, You've yeah. got an engaged fan base there now. Keenan Stadium looks much different when yes. the fans are wearing light blue as, a po- as opposed to a light shade of aluminum. Yes, for sure. And, you know, I will say I loved the uniform combos for both teams. It's like, why can't we see more of the color rush for, oh, I for love all it. college teams? Dude, like the monochrome the, look is cool. Yeah, you had the all blue for North Carolina. You had the all whites for UVA. You know, it looked it looked pretty clean. So, um Mm. Yeah, yeah, the all I mean, maroon look for the Hokies is oh, one of my favorites. Yeah. I mean, you, I would you love throw to see out that the, next week. the all maroon in a nighttime game. Just there's something about it, man. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, uh, you know, Sam Howell, another uh, pretty good game. 353 yards, four touchdowns. Guy just continues to put up huge numbers. Yeah. I think he's probably going to win ACC Player of the Year. And he should. I mean, look, he, I mean, he's just putting up these numbers every week. Yeah. Um, Not Rookie of the Year. Ch- player no, of the year. No, no, Player of the Year. Yeah, and he's done it against amazing competition. Um, you know, he's done it against good teams. UVA's defense is one of the best in the ACC, and he just went out there and just put numbers up. Um, you know, and, and I will say, you know, Bryce Perkins. I've given him a lot of stick this year, but this is the kind of Bryce Perkins I think, based on what the media had talked about and the fans were blustering about, I was expecting to see all year. Yeah. Um, so it's good to see him make uh, make an appearance, and if, if UVA can keep this up. Um, yeah, they'll be they'll be dangerous until the very end. So uh, yeah, big win for them in North Carolina. I'm convinced at this point that North Carolina could play the Dallas Cowboys to a one possession ball game. Yeah, yeah, they just it doesn't matter who they're playing. No, it's going to come down to the wire. So credit to um, them. That's uh, that's where they were last year and where they are now is just two strikingly different um, places. And credit to Mac on that. Yeah, and so I mean they're they're four and five, right? So they they still need some help to get to bowl eligibility, but they they're on the road at Pitt um, in a couple weeks, so they have a bye next week, and then they finish the season with Mercer and at NC State. So right. I I think there's a good chance they go two and one in that stretch, maybe three and zero, oh. um, but I I would expect to see North Carolina get to a bowl for Virginia. You know this was a huge game for them from a coastal division standpoint because they only have two more conference games after this. So they're, they host Georgia tech next week, which let's go ahead and assume that's going to be a win. Yep. So they're going to be five and two in conference heading into the Virginia tech matchup. So they have a bye after Georgia tech, then they've got Liberty before Virginia tech, and then they host Virginia tech. So they don't travel again this year. The rest of their games are at home. Um, which is where Virginia has been the the best. So they should be 8-3 and three heading into the Virginia Tech game, 
we'll see what the Hokies can do. The Hokies uh, have a little bit more of a difficult schedule um, down the stretch than UVA does. Um, but yeah, UVA is in very good shape right now to to win the Coastal. I'd say that they're the odds-on favorite right now, just based off of how their schedule lays out. Sure. Um, but if Virginia Tech can take care of business against Wake, they've got a game against Georgia Tech. Uh, they got a game against Pitt. So they can still afford to lose one of those games. Um, they may not necessarily control their own destiny, depending on who it is they lose to. Um, but at the end of the day, they're going to have to beat UVA in order to win the Coastal. And that's something that they've done 15 years in a row. So uh, Agreed. the odds are uh, in their favor right now. But both teams are... Uh, you know that that was that was a nice win for Virginia. You know they hadn't looked very good over the last few weeks, so um, I'm sure it was kind of a relief to to get back in the win column. Let's uh, let's move over to Pitt, Georgia Tech. So Panthers are now bowl eligible. Um, they have led the ACC with an average of 85.9 yards rushing allowed per game, and they held the Yellow Jacks 86 yards. So pretty much right yeah. on cue. On brand. Uh, the thing with Pitt that is just really concerning is they just continue to struggle offensively. And, you know, they had three turnovers in this game. And they're playing against Georgia Tech, a, a team that is not good defensively, a team that's not good offensively. So that is concerning. Um, it's it's a situation to where they're they're basically – going as far as this defense can carry him and at times the defense just cannot overcome um what this offense is is handing him so if Pitt wants to be taken seriously they're going to have to figure it out offensively that being said I do like their chances on a lot of games just because that defense is so good but Kenny Pickett's gonna have to play better they're gonna have to find something in the rushing game you know Georgia Tech uh they got a little bit of a spark from Lucas Johnson at quarterback um, after they benched, uh, after they benched Graham, but Johnson ended up getting hurt, uh, put Graham back in Pitt holds on 20 to 10. And, uh, I believe they play North Carolina next week. Yeah. I mean, you said it all agreed on, on the pit front and, um, you know, Georgia tech fought hard yet again, the theme we've seen with that team and, and they hung around, you know, it wasn't a, a complete blowout. So, um, you know, uh, Collins is getting it done there, and I think Georgia Tech obviously setting up pretty well for next year, but this year is going to continue to be a struggle. Yeah, and so Pitt, actually, they play North Carolina on November 14th. So by this week, um, North Carolina has a bye as well, and then um, that's going to be an interesting game. So It will. Um, it will. It's uh, a, a high-powered North Carolina offense going against a high-powered defense with a pretty weak Pitt offense going against a banged-up North Carolina defense. So... Um, it'll be the the tale of two the two teams, but we'll see who uh, who can come out on top. Another game, Tim, that was really um, not surprising for us, but maybe surprised Vegas. I don't know why. Uh, Syracuse <laughs> was a three point favorite at home yeah. against Boston College, which blew my mind. Syracuse doesn't have a win against a Power Five team this year. Uh, they've been absolutely abysmal on both sides of the football, and. The thing that's really surprised me the most, Tim, about the Syracuse team is how bad defensively they've been. And this was a team where, you know, they returned a lot of defensive linemen. They have a, they, they were considered to have a pretty strong secondary. The, the linebackers is what we kind of thought would be their issue heading into this season. But they have just been right. getting absolutely 
trounced by teams. Yeah. yeah. And the first warning signal was the game against Maryland. But it was. We kind of just were like, you know, maybe you know they just had a bad game. It turns out Maryland is awful, and they still scored <laughs> sixty plus points against them. Boston College is still running against the Syracuse defense. They could not stop the run. The Eagles had 65 carries for 496 yards. Yeah. A.J. Dillon, 35 carries for 242 and three scores. David Bailey, 16 carries for 172 and two scores. And then Dennis Grossell, the quarterback, was 8 for 10 for 195 and three touchdowns. Were they playing a defense? No, they weren't. At this point, I think we can safely say that. I mean... You know, that's that's really all I have to say about this game. Like, honestly, whatever, and maybe you disagree, whatever, you know, street cred Dino had, it's taken a big old hit after this season. No, how could it not? You can't follow up a a 10-win season, 11-win season with a, with a winless ACC season. You just can't do that. In a, in a very... In no, this ACC, ACC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in this ACC is a completely different discussion. They're zero and five in the ACC, three and Crazy. six overall. They're not going to make a bowl. They're not going to get a win, I don't think. No, in the ACC. So no, they've got they're at Duke, at Louisville, Wake to finish the season. They might go three and nine. And I mean the the most winnable game on their schedule left is at Duke. And I, I can't I, believe I, we're I like having Duke this more. conversation. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Duke more, too, and I, j- I just can't believe we're here. And, you know, a lot of that lies at the feet of Dino Babers and, um, you know, Eric Dungy, one of the most massively underappreciated quarterbacks to ever play in the ACC. Yeah, I mean, they should go ahead and just give him a statue because yeah. of what he did last year. Because, I mean, I don't I don't know what it is. Um, they're just They're just getting beat all over the field, so... Um, and it, it to me, it has to start with coaching. There's just too much talent on this def- defense for it to be playing that the way that they are. And, you know, to see them as a three-point favorite, like, if you're paying attention this year, you, you probably won a, a good bit of money if you're if you're a better yesterday um, and put all your eggs on Boston College. So, BC is a team. They're five and four. Uh, they're three and three in the conference. Uh, they've got Florida State Notre at Notre Dame at Pitt to finish the season. So, you know that's that's a that's a pretty tough close. Uh, they're a team that struggled historically against Florida State. You know I don't think they're gonna beat Notre Dame and at Pitt. You know who knows. So there's a chance they go two and one down the stretch. They just need one one win of those three to make it to a bowl. And of course, if they do go two and one, guess what? Seven and five. That is the Steve Adazio um, <laughs> kind of baseline for for a football season. That is. Uh, last game to talk about, Tim. Uh, Clemson against Wofford. Um, I honestly haven't looked at this game at all. Uh, so I'm <laughs> just going to pull up the, the box for here. Uh, 59-14 Clemson. So Trevor Lawrence finished 12-16 for 218 and three touchdowns. Travis Etienne, nine carries for 212 yards, so I think he had a pretty good day. That's uh, 23.6 yards per carry, two touchdowns, also an 86-yard touchdown run. So, yeah, not much resistance there from the Terriers. Uh, they got they did score 14 points in the third quarter, so good for them. But, uh, yeah, not much to, to really say about this one. Clemson now 6-0 in the conference, 9-0 um, overall in the season. 
They are at NC State next week. Sorry, Wolfpack fans. And then Yikes. they have Wake on November 16th. So that uh, that Wake-Clemson game should uh, should be a fun one to watch. Right, I agree. Um, so, yeah, the only thing really of note that came out of this was uh, Etienne's now the career uh, record holder for uh, rushing touchdowns at Clemson. So a pretty big honor for him. Um, and not surprising. I mean, the guy is an absolute talent, and Clemson has been in a place where their program has not been ever in the past four years. So, um, you know, good for him. You, you know, you, you kind of hate to see uh, Wofford take it on the chin like they did, but, you know, that's going to happen. Yep, it's going to happen. And, uh, you know, I think for Clemson, you know, I believe the uh, the polls, the uh, – whatever we call it, the college football playoff poll. I can't remember if there's a specific name for it. I think that's announced on Tuesday this week. So we'll see uh, We'll see what the committee thinks about Clemson. I can't imagine they're going to be outside of the top four uh, because teams are starting to lose now. Um, you know, you had a team like Oklahoma that was looking really good. They've lost, you know, the rest of the top five this week. Uh, had a bye, so there wasn't a lot going on in college football. No. Um, from some of the big dogs. So we'll see what happens. Um, Clemson, if they went out, they're going to be in the college football playoff. I think it's just all a matter of, you know, what seed that they get. Yeah, I mean, it's a matter of seeding. And, you know, Clemson this year more than any other years. I mean, what is Clemson? I, I think I know what Clemson is. Clemson shouldn't be any different than last year. Um, but they've just not really been tested a whole lot. So Yeah, and I mean, we, we kind of had that question last year, too. Sure, and they answered that and with the resounding, uh, same old Clemson. So, so 33 we'll against Notre Dame, if you remember, in the first week or something like that, they held Notre Dame to three points, and then, you know, obviously the national championship. Uh, against Paul Feinbaum's, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> great, greatest <laughs> needs and wants, absolutely destroyed right. Alabama. Um, yeah, and Paul so. Paul Feinbaum, if you're listening, you're a complete joke. I just wanted to throw <laughs> that out there. Oh, by the way, I don't know if I talked about this, but I was in Alabama a, a few weeks ago, and uh, the Paul Feinbaum show was on. Oh, great. And it was one of the weirdest radio shows I've ever listened to, because it's mostly just people calling in and talking to Paul. Right. And it's all about, like, I guess Paul has really impacted a lot of people's lives. <laughs> Oh, you could say that based on the call-ins he gets. It's unreal. It's like, where do they find these people? It's like some guy called in because his granddaughter was just born, and he just wanted to tell Paul ab- yeah. about it. And that was the conversation. He, he like, <laughs> apologized for not being able to listen the last couple of weeks or a couple of days because, you know, he had been in the hospital, like, waiting for the birth of his granddaughter. And I'm just like, it's okay, dude. <laughs> like, I'm, well, I'm not yeah, sure I mean, how much Paul really needed to know that, but why you feel indebted to him and, and sorry that you, you know, missed a couple of his shows, I, I think it's okay. You know, the ACC needs a Paul Feinbaum. We do. But we need, we need we trash do. radio uh, that's solely focused it on was, our conference. It was actually really entertaining. Yeah. I'll, I'll give it that. I, oh, it I, is. I just couldn't wait for the people. Call. I was like, okay, what is this guy going to say? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Dude, it is. I am, um, you know, I've I've tuned into many Paul Feinbaum shows, and uh, you know, he irritates me to no end. 
with his pomposity in regards to the SEC, but he is damn the if most that's not an entertaining show. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can just, you don't even have to see his face. Like, all you have no. to do is really see his face one time. Oh, yeah. And then that's it. And if you just hear him talk and just how arrogant and pompous he is about everything that he says. Yeah. It's just like, there, so there was talk about the uh, the Mississippi State coach, can't remember his name, potentially being a candidate for the Rutgers job, which, <laughs> why you would go to Rutgers from Mississippi State, I have no idea. Hey, the pressure would be a lot less, man. Yeah, yeah. But anyways. But then again, you'd have to live in New Jersey, so. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so he's he's like, well, you know, when, when he's on my show, I'm going to ask him about it. And so he was, like, very proud of that he asked the coach about, you know, the Rutgers rumors. And he's, like, basically bragging to every call and about, you know, yeah, you know, that's my job. Like, that's what I have to do. I'm Paul Feinbaum, you know. I'm you're Paul not gonna, Feinbaum. You're not going right? to get one by me. I ask the tough questions. <laughs> and by the here, way, Paul. I hate Clemson. <laughs> oh, my Clemson, gosh. I mean, he really does. they're not even a top 25 team. He really does. I mean, I'm sure there are like highlight reels of Paul dissing Clemson on YouTube. So if you're not familiar with Paul or Paul's dislike of Clemson and everything Clemson, go watch it. It's fun. It's good. Good watching. I'm sure. Um, I think. But if, I really. Uh, I'm. I'm rooting for Clemson again, just to further irritate Paul Feinbaum. And the fact they're in the ACC helps. I think if a photo of Paul Feinbaum surfaced at a pool party, and you know, for some unknown reason, he had his shirt off. We just see a huge SEC logo tatted on his chest. <laughs> oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. There is up in the night. Uh, over one breast, there is an SEC logo, and he's had it for a while, so it's going to be the 90s SEC logo uh, with the navy and the yellow and the diamond. Um, and then on the other breast is going to be a, a mural of Nick Saban. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So... That's that's our show for today. Uh, you know, always always great talking about our buddy Paul. But uh, we are Chowder and Grits. Thanks for listening. If this was your first time, hit that subscribe button. Maybe uh, you know, tell your friends. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, you can listen to our show in a variety of ways. Apple Podcasts, Spotify seem to be the faves, but really anywhere that you listen to a podcast, you should be able to find us. You can head over to ChowderandGrits.com. Find us on Twitter at Chowder and Grits. Even uh, even if you head over to Facebook, you'll find us. So, uh, Tim, why don't you tell these people what they can do for us? Leave some reviews, share some content, keep spreading the word. You guys are doing awesome in that regard. I know I say it every week, but we see the numbers every week. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just really impressed and humbled, and I know Justin is too. So thank you guys for that. Awesome job on the Twitter. Uh, very engaged this week, which I always like to see. It makes Saturdays way more fun for Justin and I. Um, which if you ever see us tweet about the same thing twice, it's because we're both running that Twitter handle and we don't really coordinate well in some cases on the spur of the moment. So, no, nor should um, we. Nor should we and nor will we. Yeah. Um, you're going to get both <laughs> we, sides of that coin. We're not going to apologize. No, we will not. So as usual, you know, guys, we appreciate it. Keep doing what you do. Justin, you should name this show Paul Feinbaum's Chest Hats. And with that, we're going to leave you with... fantasy football team name. It does, or a, a band name. Um, you know, a nice, a nice new Southern rock band name. If you're yeah, into that. from Alabama. That's it. So you know, if you're going to use that, we expect royalties. Um, and from you guys, we just expect you keep tuning in and uh, rooting for the Hokies and whatever ACC team you may follow. So uh, we'll leave you guys with a go ACC and go Hokies. See you guys later.